Good morning. Good morning. Some of you are awake. That is good. I invite you to stand as we begin our time of worship as we sing to the Lord, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth. thank you so much for the opportunity for us to come and worship and, and to sing together a song like that because we give you all the praise. We lift up our voices to you. We lift our eyes to you this morning. I pray, God, that we have prepared to meet you, to experience your presence. So in our time this morning, may you be glorified in every way, with every thought, and every action. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being at First Baptist Church, Sun City West. We are so glad that you're here and look forward to and anticipate an experience with God today. If this is your very first time, there is a guest card in the pew in front of you. We'd love for you to take that out, fill it out in its entirety when you get ready to leave today. If, uh, if you would just put it in one of our offering boxes when you leave at each exit, we would appreciate that very much. It's good to see Carla Jackson here in the back, one of our international missionaries from Mozambique. It's good to see you, Carla. <laughs> Traveled a long way. It's a lot of hours, and we're glad that you're here. I know for just a brief time, as you get ready to head to North Carolina for a, uh, is it a wedding? Yeah, another special time. So we'll be praying for you, and look forward to seeing you and Stephen uh, somewhere around the December time frame when you guys get back. All right, I've been praying for you, Dad, and uh, I know that you were glad to see him as well. So, we always love our international missionaries. We don't get to see them all that often, and uh, we, are, we are so glad that you're here. Well, let's uh, continue our time of worship and celebration. Let's lift our voices to God Almighty. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. Let's sing together. How firm. 
will sing that third stanza a cappella. Good morning. morning. Now the psalmist says, I was glad when he said, let us go into the house of the Lord. But isn't it so neat, sweet, that we are each individual that know God is near and dear to his heart. Pray with me while we pray. Heavenly Father, it is so good it is so wonderful that we as believers can come together and worship you. But you want our worship to be in the beauty of holiness. Help us, Father, as we come to worship you to, together today as a body of believers. Help us, Father, to examine our hearts before we get into the word. That your word, Lord, would cleanse us and wash us and make us ready and prepared to hear your word. Not only hearing your word, but after hearing it, Father, that we make applications of it. That we be better tomorrow than we are today, if the Lord uh, bless us to live to tomorrow. But each day, Lord, we should gain, take advantage of the breath that you have given us. So help us, Father, to be appreciative of everything, every little thing that comes up, Father. We, don't, we shouldn't take it for granted. We should be grateful and appreciative of your goodness. First of all, as our song goes, didn't I wake you up this morning? Didn't I close you in your right mind? Didn't I put food on your table, clothes on your back? When you're feeling bad and sick, didn't I send healing you? So, oh, Father, we have so much to be appreciative and thank you, for you do care for us. For if you didn't care for us, you wouldn't have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. That's how dear, that's how you value us, that you want us to be with you throughout all eternity, Father. But at this present state, Father, we weren't ready. So that's why you sent Jesus Christ to die, to pay the debt for our sin. We thank you, Father. We love you. Be with each one of us today throughout this day as we hear your word. And then when we walk through the door of leaving, Lord, may we, Lord, remember where we were and be active. 
be doers of your word. In Jesus' name.
What kind of man welcomes the company of the hurting, helpless, and the hopeless? What kind of a man can heal the pain with a single soft touch? What kind of a man multiplies hope and freedom as easily as he does fish and bread? Who else can turn our dusty old religion into a brand new relationship? What kind of man would claim to be God in the flesh, but then allow that same flesh to be torn apart? What kind of a man would embrace betrayal? Insults. Torture. Mockery. And death. And yet, live to tell about it. Nobody but Jesus. Nobody but Jesus. Nobody. Who could speak with such authoritative words and yet drench them with compassion? Who could be strong enough to still the storms yet be so meek and humble? Who could allow the hands that created the universe to also be nailed into a wooden cross? Who could choose patience despite deserving immediate and complete obedience? Who could be blameless and without fault but still endure the judgment others deserve? Nobody but Jesus. Nobody but Jesus. Nobody. Who will love us like him? Who will be with us when all others have left? Who comforts us in suffering? Who is our peace in the midst of anxiety? Who reassures me when my mind is drowning in doubt? Who accepts me as I am with no strings attached? Who else would die for me while I was sinking in sin? Who else can turn the grave into Easter morning? Nobody. 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 Nobody but Jesus. from John 11, verses 1 through 16. We are blessed by the sharing. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wept his, wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judah. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were tired to try to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by his world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, 
so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. May this reading touch and inspire us as we remind them of the words of the Lord. So 
Well, amen for that. When my kids were younger, growing up, I used to always tell them that timing is everything. And it's true in business. It's true in every aspect of our life. It's true in our financial plans. It's true in real estate. And it's very true when children ask their parents for things. <laughs> the timing has got to be right. If I ask how many of you have suffered through some kind of difficulty or challenge, the passing of a loved one, uh, some kind of medical challenge, financial issues with children, if I ask those questions, I imagine that probably across the board, that would be an agreement. In some of those times, we come before God and we ask him to intervene, to change the situation, to make it different. And I've talked to people through the years that have been either disillusioned or disappointed because God did not act right then when they prayed. This morning, I want to address the issue of God's or Jesus's care for us. Because sometimes when we think that, uh, that he doesn't care because he hasn't responded in our time frame, we think that he just doesn't know that we're here and he's indifferent. And the reality is, God does care. One aspect of that caring is focused upon divine timing. The songwriter expressed his simple faith when he wrote, when days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. It's one of those phrases that we take near and dear to our heart. It's a trust factor, it's a simple faith. It doesn't have to be complicated. But with all of our emotions and our presuppositions and our expectations that we place upon God, it complicates everything because we believe that God should act and move upon our command. And forgetting that we're the creation, he is the creator. In John chapter 11, it presents the seventh and the greatest sign miracle of Jesus, the resurrection of Lazarus. It is a powerful chapter. And, and through this miracle, we understand how God cares. He, he cares for us in a way that shows both divine timing and give glory to God. Two aspects, two incredible lessons that I believe that we ought to try to learn today. So this morning, as we talk about God's love for us and asking the question, does Jesus really care for us? And everyone here would say, yes, of course, he died on the cross for us. Of course, he cares for us. But I want you to reflect back and to your times of doubt, that instant in your life. When you receive the news, with the information, the pondering of why didn't God intervene for me? And help us to walk through that 
and understand that God, through Jesus Christ, does care. He cares in three ways, and I want to talk about that in these first 16 verses of chapter 11, in this first of, of a, a series of three messages on John 11. First, we find that Jesus cares by giving friendships in faith. There were three of us who met in the ID line our very first day at Wayland Baptist College then, now Wayland Baptist University. There's a guy by the name of Michael Block and Mike Tincher and Kirby Kennedy. Three great guys. <laughs> we were all freshmen. We didn't know much about anything that was going on except here we were in this line following everybody else to start getting all the registration taken care of. Through all of these years since then, that was in 1976, so you can calculate how many years it's been, we have been able to stay in touch through some of the challenging times of life, through some major obstacles. God even allowed us to be together for a short few years altogether in the Seattle region, where we were able to connect and, and do some pretty neat things. The rest of the time, it's been visits or phone calls, text messages, emails. As we think about all through those years, we were there for one another when one of them went through a very painful divorce. Obviously, I had a kidney transplant, and they were there for me. And the third had a kidney transplant and a mild heart attack. We think about the journeys that we've been for, through all through these years and the, the major crises, not even looking at our walks of life and our what we do in life. But we were there for one another. These friendships are lifelong. This past Friday, Mike Tincher had a tumor removed and we were all texting and calling making sure that each one of us knew what was going on and, uh, and, and how that process was. Mike doesn't have anybody. He has some family members where he lives, and they got him to the hospital, but he was there by himself. So we wanted to do everything we could to try to help and to encourage. And, and what I find out of that through these years is the caring concern for one another is a gift that God gave us, the gift of friendships, and that's what he does for all of us who come to a faith in Jesus Christ. We become brothers and sisters in Christ. He's given us that ability to have those kinds of friendships. And it is a true gift. <coughs> Even Jesus needed special places and special friendships. You think about Jesus' inner circle of Peter, James, and John time that they spent together they they were close they encouraged one another and also we look at here John chapter 11 we have Lazarus Mary and Martha in, in verse 3 he says so the sisters sent word to Jesus Lord the one you love is sick when you talk about the one you love it's just not a normal term it has this caring compassion in it, something that, that is close. There's this deep, 
bond. It was a special friendship between Jesus and Lazarus. And even more in verse 5, the scripture says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they had this close bond with Jesus. It encouraged him. It was a blessing to them. I think this verse makes it very clear that Jesus shared a special love for these three. He shared a special love with his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. In his human dimension, he needed special friends, and he also needed a special place. And Bethany was that place. I think probably it was the closest thing to a home that Jesus had in Judea. In fact, he retreated to Bethany every night during the last week of his life. Bethany was a, a village in Judea about uh, two miles east of Jerusalem. Uh, the scripture says that it was about a Sabbath day journey from Jerusalem. Bethany was situated on a, on a main well-traveled road to Jericho. In fact, some scholars believe that Bethany was more like a, a modern subdivision to Jerusalem than a city unto itself. In fact, the edges of Bethany reached to the Mount of Olives where Jesus would ascend into heaven after giving his final instructions to his disciples. Bethany was a special place for him. He had special friends, a special place. And I believe as you look into scripture, you find that Jesus expands his friendship to all who trust in him. He says, you, you are my friend if you are my follower, if you obey what I command. In verse 3, some scholars believe that the one you love may have ultimately become a technical term for every Christian. We are the ones he loves. In fact, the scripture tells us in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Our relationship with him, it depends on his love for us, which never, ever changes. Not on our love for him, which often changes as we can look in our lives. Here we find that this teaches us that Jesus' friends can take their needs to him with a trusting simplicity. The sisters sent word, Lord, the one you love is sick. They didn't tell him what or how or when to respond. You see, he, if he was aware of that, to them, that was enough. Do you have that simplistic faith? To have such a friendship, a close relationship with Jesus that you can simply say, Lord, here's what my need is. I don't need to tell you what to do about it. I don't need to instruct you on step-by-step -step process of how you need to accomplish that. If you are aware of it, which he always is, then he'll take care of it. And you have to trust him for that. 
is kind of hard, isn't it? Because we like to tell God and his son Jesus Christ exactly the plan that we think is the best. At this point, the sisters sent the message, Lord, the one you love is sick. This is the kind of friendship and trust. And so it's a gift. Jesus cares for you because he has given you the gift of friendship of himself and of other brothers and sisters in Christ if you will take that opportunity. Second, we find in this passage that Jesus cares by moving according to the timing of the Father. Over the years, our family would take uh, vacations, usually two or three week vacations. They'd be traveling vacations one direction or another. And uh, invariably, we would set a time to leave with the van all packed up, top carrier up there, everything ready to go for our journey. And invariably, we would leave later than we anticipated. But I remember my wife always reminding me, delays are sometimes God's ways of keeping you out of trouble. And we found that through the years. Divine delays do not mean divine indifference. Because God does not act immediately upon your request. Or he doesn't change things the way that you think that you would like for them to be. Even in the realm of health and death and relationships. Doesn't mean he's indifferent. In verse 6 of John chapter 11, the scripture says, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Okay, if I were to take a vote in this congregation and you got that message and said, Up, oh, man, I better be there. Guys, let's get everything put together. Let's go. But Jesus didn't do that. He heard that Lazarus was sick and he spent two more days where he was. Well, some would say, well, he was indifferent. He wasn't a true friend. He's going to allow Lazarus to go through the, sil uh, the, the illness and, and even death. But Jesus already had supernatural knowledge that Lazarus was dead. He communicated this to his disciples in verse 11. He said, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I am going there to wake him up. Jesus had a different view of things. It was divine timing. There was a reason for this. And sometimes there's a reason that God allows things to happen in our lives, even tragic and disastrous things that we don't like at all. But when it's all said and done, it's not about us. It's about God, giving God glory. Because he is the creator. And he loves us and cares for us. And he, he will take care of us in the midst of whatever we face. The disciples didn't understand I couldn't understand that he had fallen asleep. Well, okay. Then let's, uh, let's head over there. If he's asleep, he'll wake up. <laughs> Finally, Jesus in verse 14 had to say, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
sometimes we read into scripture what we want to read into it. Sometimes we, we, we don't understand the entirety of scripture, what God is saying to us. And Jesus is talking about Lazarus being asleep, but he's, he's, he's talking about his death, but he's going to, to bring him back to life, and the disciples did not catch that. Yes, they were in the learning process. They, they did not have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ at this time because they were his disciples. They were learning across the path. And finally, Jesus had this finally, clearly, simplistically say, Lazarus is dead. You see, because he cared... He waited, and he waited that all might see the greatest manifestation of his power and his glory, and that is bringing Lazarus up from the grave. They didn't understand that. Three instances, Jesus' initial response was to refuse to move immediately when those who were near to him and dear to him insisted that he take action. In this case, we find that he waited two days. In John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the scripture says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. The third instance in John chapter 7, verses 3 and 6, the scripture says, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there might see the works you do. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. In each instance, he later did what they wanted, but it was only on his own timing. And that's what we have to remember. Jesus cares. But it, we have to accept his timing because he sees things differently than we do. But in no instance do Jesus' delays mean indifference. Every single day and every single moment, he cares for you. He watches over you. He protects you. He embraces you in the midst of difficulties and challenges. But he's got a plan for you. Every move that Jesus makes is measured by God's clock and not our clock. In verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the, in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. Here, he, he's indicating by these words an acute awareness of God's timing in his life. When he's with the Father, he sees the light. He knows God's timing, and that's what he's going to act on. He will not stumble. He was moving by the signals that the others couldn't see, couldn't receive. And every believer has the capacity to move on God's special timing if we wait on him. And that is the hardest thing to do, to wait. But Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18 says, Blessed are all who wait on him. 
Jesus does care for you. But we must understand God's timing and embrace that timing because he has a plan. Last, we find that Jesus cares by seeing our situation differently. Throughout this story, everything indicates that there's a difference between the divine and the human perspective. Jesus does not view our situation the way we do. We look at it at ground level. We look at it in real time, all around us, and what's happening to us with so many different kinds of emotions and expressions and experiences. <coughs> Jesus saw the whole situation about Lazarus from the perspective for God's glory. What will bring about God's glory? While others only saw a sad story. Look at that. Did you hear? Lazarus got sick. Lazarus died. It's sad. And there's mourning going on. There's weeping. The loved ones are broken hearted, devastated. That's a sad story. Jesus sees it a little bit differently. Jesus saw an opportunity in Judea while his disciples only saw danger there. In verse 8 it says, But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going back? If Lazarus is already dead, why would you go back to a place where they're well, where they've got the knives out. But you see, Jesus considered Lazarus asleep while the disciples understood that Lazarus was only dead. But Jesus knew differently. He sees a different plan. And it's all for the glory of God. Now we could selfishly say but what about me I mean it's, it's great to give God the glory but what about me and it is not why he created us to have such a marvelous relationship with him and he created us again and sent his spirit inside of us so that we might what glorify him our lives ought to glorify him jesus is looking at this situation as a focus on an opportunity look at it the way jesus looks at it you say ah i just don't know if i agree with him well he's god and i don't say that flippantly I say that he has a plan. He has an infinite ability to see everything. Ours is finite. At the same time, he knows exactly what you're going through. And he brings about the power of his spirit to comfort and encourage you if you will allow him to. And it doesn't mean that the days and the weeks and the months and even the years are not painful 
in sorrow. But he promises to always walk with us through those times. That's what he says. The most striking statement, I think, is in John chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Lazarus is dead, and Jesus rejoices, he's glad. Isn't that a, a contrast? Depends how you take it. You see, if you look at it from Jesus' standpoint, he's about to do something that is going to make a statement and bring people into the kingdom. Lazarus is about to become an amazing exhibit of God's power and his glory and his focus upon his son, Jesus Christ, and what he is ultimately going to do on the cross, in the resurrection, to bring opportunity for everyone in this world to have salvation. Jesus sees our situation differently than you do. And it's up to us if we want to see it from his vantage point or if we want to hold on to our vantage point and get bitter, frustrated, or distance ourselves. That's our choice. Throughout John's Gospel, Jesus lived and he observed at a level that his disciples did not. And that's where we are too. When we gave our life to Christ, we started a journey. It's a lifelong journey. It is a journey of, of sanctification, of learning how to understand and, and, and be more in-depth and intimate with Jesus Christ. And we consistently learn, or we can become stale, stagnant, stay at a certain level and never really grow anymore. Now, our salvation is secure. Our love for him is secure. His love for us never changes. But that intimacy, the, the giftedness of having that closeness with the Father change. I believe that we need to trust that Jesus sees our situation better and more clearly than we do. When I was in, uh, when we were in New Mexico, and my father-in-law had had uh, a quadruple bypass surgery. And Debbie had gone to uh, uh, the whole summer, I think about 12 weeks or something like that. She had left her job and she went there to take care of him because he was there by himself. And I uh, remember my prayer being, Lord, if, if you could relocate us close to where Deb's father is so that we could take care of him but continue in ministry, I would, I would ask that. And you know, it wasn't very long till, <laughs> till um, God moved us to a place just two hours from him 
where Deb was able to be there and take care of him, and he had five acres of land, and every third Friday I got to go and get on this John Deere tractor and mow five acres. It was great. <laughs> but here's what I really found out of that in reflection. In addition to us being there for my father-in-law, he saw my situation better than I did because within five years of our moving there, I needed a kidney transplant. The place I was at in, uh, in New Mexico, they wouldn't do transplants. The closest place would have been Albuquerque. And Albuquerque is, is nothing in the transplant area like the Mayo Clinic. So my prayer was that we could relocate and be closer so that we could help Dad's dad and still continue in ministry, which he allowed us to do. But he saw a bigger plan, a place where we were going to be able to get a transplant, not only because of the facility, but my donor moved to the little city that we were in of 12,000 one month before we moved there. And God was already beginning to work in his life. God was glorified through that time. Still had to endure two years of, of dialysis, and that was the most difficult stuff that had been, ever been through. But he had a bigger plan. I had to step back from, from my church there because I could not continue in that kind of leadership role and be on dialysis and do the things that had to be done. That was a painful process. And you ask the question, why? We had great plans. We were growing. We had bought more property. It was just all kinds of things that were, were happening. Yet, yet we find that even though I didn't see how God was bringing everything together, he did. Where my plan was, let's get closer to, to my father-in-law. God's plan was, I want to provide you all of these opportunities so that you have a chance at life for the very best and more clearly, he saw those things. And it was at that same time that Debbie found that she had breast cancer and had to go through her surgeries and uh, procedures and all of those things. The Mayo Clinic was right there. It's not that we didn't have to face those challenges, those disappointments, those difficult days, We did, but God provided step-by-step step through that to help us. We didn't know the next day when we got up what was going to happen. We had no control over anything, but God had it taken care of. You see, he sees things differently than we do. Therefore, we should trust him. The loyalty of Thomas, the disciple of Jesus, in this regard was so admirable because even though he didn't understand how or why Jesus was moving to Judea he intended to be loyal regardless even though he didn't know all the details even though there was danger in verse 16 he says to the rest of the disciples let us go that we may die with him <laughs> talk about loyal 
Wow. Still have this mindset that we're going and, and, uh, and we are all going to die when we get there. But you know what? We're going to follow him to the very end. There was this growing revelation to these disciples of who Jesus was and all that he could do. But he was willing to follow. And I guess that would be my question for you. Is that something that you're willing to do? Are you willing to understand that Jesus cares for you even though life may throw you a lot of curves? Are you willing to, to accept the gift of friendship with him and with one another? Are you, you willing to accept God's timing and wait on him and not plow ahead at what needs to be done? Are you willing to trust him? Not knowing where he's going to take you and where he's going to lead you, but trusting him simply to say, I'm going to follow you no matter where it leads. I hope you will. I hope that you will say, yes. Jesus, no matter what, I trust you. Whether I can see what's ahead or not, I trust you for the very best. I will go with you. Father, as we move to our time of invitation, I just ask that we have heard your word, that the clarity of this situation with Lazarus will help us understand that your son Jesus cares for us, no matter what. And I pray that this morning we will choose to say yes. Whether I can see ahead or not, I'm trusting you, Father. I'm trusting Jesus because he has our best interest at heart. And he knows the situation and sees it differently than we. We just are here, Father, to be your servants and to glorify you and to be the light to this world and the hope that you choose to give. And so as believers, I pray this morning, we will make the commitment to choose to say, yes, I will follow you regardless. And for those who are not believers, I pray, Father, that today would be a day to say, oh, that's who I want to follow. It's somebody that has the best interest at heart. For those that, uh, Father, need to rededicate their lives, for those who want to come and join this church fellowship, I pray that you will tug at their hearts because, Father, there is a ministry for the church. And hand in hand and arm in arm, Father, we need to love one another within this fellowship, hey, and be brothers and sisters in Christ and enjoy this friendship and fellowship and also communicate to the world that we have the hope because it comes in Jesus, not us. So, Father, whatever decision needs to be made, I pray we'll make it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and let's sing our invitation.
could be seated for just a moment, please. I want to remind you that uh, this coming Sunday, in our Bible study classes and in the bulletin, there's going to be a, uh, a church-wide survey. Um, we are moving into the last two years of our Vision 2025, and um, we have so many new people since we put that vision together in 2019 that we want to get input and from, uh, from uh, our, uh, our members who have been here the entire time and all of our new members as we put together the final strategies for these last two years. So uh, if you would, just be mindful, when you get to your Bible study class, they will be available. They're not long. Just fill out uh, what you have, and, uh, and uh, when you're eating cookies and drinking coffee in the CLC, fill them out there. You can cheat each other's, you know, um, around the table, each other's papers, that'll be fine. But, uh, and when you come in here, just fill them out. Uh, maybe think that you are taking notes for the sermon. If you'll fill that out, that would be, that would be great. There will be baskets at the, at the back of uh, our worship center. Just drop them in there. You don't have to put your name on them. But it will give us good input and good information. So if you would, I just want to remind you of that. We don't do this very often, but we do want to hear back from you, okay? Ms. Nancy? And it isn't too late if you did not have an opportunity to come to one of the four small group topical studies last Wednesday at 4. There's certainly time for you to plug into one of those. Those will continue for another five weeks. So we would encourage you to be a part of one of those. The beautiful arrangement on the altar table today. That is provided by Sandy Pennington in loving memory of her husband, Bob. And you'll notice the flowers are a beautiful yellow. That was Bob's favorite color. And I want to point out by the cross over here is one single fire and ice rose, as well as one single rosebud. Those are symbolic to Bob and Sandy of their relationship to and with God. So I encourage you to hanker because those are beautiful. We appreciate that so much. On the back of your bulletin, there's a number of things I want to call your attention to, in addition to the survey that Dr. Kennedy has always told, already told us about. On Thursday, the 28th, there will be the movie matinee. Lunch is $5. If you want to come for lunch, we do need you to sign up. If you want to come for just the movie, you do not need to sign up, but I encourage you to come. There will be free popcorn and bottled water for you. And the men's breakfast on October 3rd, our guest speaker will be Chuck Morrison. All of these signups are out there along with the Bible study kickoff luncheon for the women, which will be on October 7th. And then you'll see when both the women's Bible study and the men's Bible study are beginning in the fall. So a lot of great things are happening. I encourage you to participate, and several of those are as your health will allow. Now, if you would stand, I'm going to ask that Charlene Carrillo, one of our newest choir members and a relatively new church member, come and lead us in our closing prayer. <laughs> Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in which you've given us to be together to worship you in the house of the Lord. And just guide us and remember that you are God and we're not. And we need to trust you in all of our journeys in our lives. Be with the ones that are sick, that they'll hear 
that feel your presence in their lives and that you'll touch them in their lives also. In Jesus' name, amen.